I have never heard that song before, but wow, what a great question. What a great question. I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, our young people getting involved uh, in the music in a lot of different ways. And so thank you, uh, Daniel and Susie, for that. I very much appreciate it. Your Bibles are open uh, to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures tonight. So I hope you'll be ready uh, to turn with me. This morning we talked about the peace of God. Uh, the peace of God defined as that awareness that we have of the presence and the power and the purpose of God in our lives. That assurance that because God is here, uh, everything is okay. That I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm secure because of the Lord. In our text uh, in Philippians chapter 4, we walked through some of these verses this morning. We found, if you were, some ingredients to where this peace of God comes from. Remember, the peace of God is a byproduct. Not that we are, are not allowed to pray for God to grant us his peace, but it actually comes as we put other things into play. We learn from verse 4 of Philippians 4 that right praising is important. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Not rejoice just when things are going our way, uh, when we're feeling well, when everything is, is uh, sunshine and roses, but we're to rejoice in the Lord always. On our worst day, we're supposed to find something to praise God about because he's still a good God, uh, and we still, on our worst day, have an awful lot to look forward to, the, the right kind of praise. Verse number 6 and 7, we talked this morning about the right kind of praying. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As I am supposed to praise the Lord at all times, I'm also supposed to pray at all times. I'm not supposed to stress. I'm to be careful for nothing, filled with care for nothing. Uh, I'm to learn to take everything to the Lord in prayer. The songwriter uh, said it so well, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. In verse number 8, we did not touch on this this morning, but there's a third element or ingredient to this peace of God, and that is right thinking. We actually did, I guess, touch on it from Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? stayed on thee, focused on thee, because he trusteth in thee. We see that same truth repeated again in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, controlling our minds and our thought lives, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. But that right thinking is important. Uh, I need to be very mindful of where my information is coming from. And I'm not just talking about the, the news headlines, but all that information. I, I need to make sure that the voices that I hear, the people I'm surrounding myself with, that their conversations are lining up with Philippians chapter 4, and verse number 8, right thinking. And then we learned in verse number 9 the importance of right living or right doing. Paul said, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. The next word, church, do. It's not enough that you know the Bible. Are you doing what the Bible says? 
You cannot go out and do your own thing, live your own way, talk the way you want, ignore God's word, and expect to know this amazing peace that God has promised to us. Uh, you, have to, you have to be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, James chapter 1, that we referred to this morning. But tonight I want to back up a little bit. Uh, that was all the introduction to this morning's message, but it ended up becoming the entire message, and I don't apologize for that. I felt like the Holy Spirit uh, was, was in that in every way, and uh, he was speaking to my heart even as I delivered the message. I want us to look again tonight at verses 6 and 7, and I want to talk about the prayer life that brings about the peace of God. The prayer life that brings about the peace of God. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. We examined that phrase this morning. It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the result of that is and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, should keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think perhaps one of the greatest reasons that we miss out on the peace of God and we live without it, that we are so stressed, is that our prayer lives are so far different from what God would have them to be. Keeping your place here, can you turn a couple of pages forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. When we hit verse 16 down through verse 22, we have what has been referred to as sermons in a sentence. Just one or two or several words that just very briefly give tremendous truth. Notice verse 16 says, rejoice evermore. Does that sound familiar? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul writes to yet another church, rejoice evermore. Can I ask you a question, church? Does that describe us? Rejoice evermore. Does that describe you today? Does that describe you this past week? Were you rejoicing evermore? Look at verse 17. It says, pray without what? Pray without ceasing. That means just don't stop. Pray without ceasing. Can I ask you a question? Does that describe us. Um, think of all the conversations that we've had this week, all the people that we've conversed with. Is there any person we've talked to more than we've talked to the Lord? The Bible makes the promise back in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that the peace of God that passes understanding becomes ours and, and keeps us, secures us in response, in that case, to our prayer life. If I am praying without ceasing, you understand that automatically means by the promise and truth of God's word, I will have that peace of God without ceasing. But if my prayer life is hit or miss, off and on, up and down, in and out, and all that kind of stuff, it's, if it's sporadic and so forth, so will my level of peace, my enjoyment of the peace of God will be just these momentarily, momentary little flickers. That's not God's plan for us. God's plan is for you and I to walk through our life uh, knowing that peace of God uh, at, at all times. In Acts chapter 20, Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders for the very last time. 
Uh, he had left his ship. He was bound for Jerusalem, called for the elders of the church to come meet with him. And, and he reviewed to them his ministry there. Uh, he rejoiced at the things that God had done. And then he, he ended up giving them a sobering truth. He said, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit has told me that when I get to Jerusalem, that bonds and imprisonment await me there. He said, God's already let me know. He said, now I'm bound in the Spirit to go there. I believe that's where God wants me to go. But the Holy Spirit has also repeatedly let me know that when I get there, bonds and imprisonment await me. Now, for most of us, that would have been a deal breaker. Well, if they're going to arrest me and, and, and throw me in jail for going there, I'm not going there. That's not something we would voluntarily step into. But Paul knew that it was God's will for him to go. He knew. He said, I'm bound in the Spirit to go there. Knowing even that, and, and that fear of the unknown that would settle in on every one of us, he made the statement, he said, but none of these things move me. He said, I'm, I'm not stressing about it. I'm, I'm not wavering uh, in my commitment to the Lord. I'm not wavering in my sense of obedience. I'm not wavering in my faith. I'm not wavering in my trust in the Lord. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which God hath given me to fulfill. Paul had this sense of the peace of God that even when God himself said, you, you're headed down for a rough patch in the road, Paul was completely at peace about that. He wasn't stressing, he wasn't upset. If you study his life, it, 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 it was in largely in part to his prayer life. Uh, almost all of his letters talk about, I remind you always in my prayers, church after church after church, person after person. Paul's prayer life had to have been one of the most extensive of anybody that you'll read and study in the Word of God. Prayer and the peace of God go hand in hand. I will venture to say this without being critical, without being demeaning, but being very personally minded on this. I doubt if there's any one of us in this room tonight that would be willing to stand up and say, I think I pray enough. My prayer life is good enough. I, I can't say that. Now, maybe you can, and if so, then you and I need to talk because I need to, to, I need to hang around you a little bit and let you rub off on me. But most of us, uh, most of us if we were really honest about it, uh, we, would, we would admit my prayer life isn't where it ought to be. And it's because of that that neither is the peace of God manifested in our lives the way that it should. So we think of this matter, the connection between prayer and the peace of God. How should I pray so that I live with the reality of God's peace in my life? I want to share some things with you. I, I thought I had seven points. I only have six, so you'll be out of here by nine tonight. Uh, instead of 930. Um, so get ready with your Bibles. Turn, if you would, first of all, uh, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. All but about six or seven verses in this great chapter deal directly with the Word of God. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse 165. How should I pray that I might experience and live in the peace of God? First thing is, you and I need to learn to pray scripturally. 
pray scripturally. The Bible says in verse 165, great peace have they which what? Love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The word offend means nothing's going to make you stumble, nothing's going to make you fall, nothing's going to set you back. Great peace have they which love thy law. Um, God's peace is tied into this book in a tremendous way. Uh, turn, if you would, to John chapter 15. Pray scripturally. John chapter 15. And look, if you would, please hear to verse number 7. Jesus said, if ye abide in me, that word abide means to dwell. It, it means to dwell uh, in the opposite or in opposition to just a, a little visit. Um, when we travel somewhere, we go on vacation, whether we're there for a couple of days or a week or a couple of weeks, we're still only visiting there. We may stay at relatives or friends' home. We may check into a hotel uh, and so forth. And we may put our luggage away and, and so on and so forth. And we're there in someone's house or in some kind of a, a, a hotel or something like that, but we're still only visiting. The idea of abiding means we have moved in. Uh, several years ago, uh, we, we hired Brother Rob to come on staff to be our youth and music pastor. And he and Anna came, and, and the idea was they were going to stay with us until they found a house of their own. Um, I think that was seven, eight, nine years ago, and they're still there. Don't let your relatives move in. They're, they just don't, they don't want to leave, especially when you're as awesome as we are. Uh, no, we invited them to make it a permanent situation. And so they're not just uh, sojourning, that's a Bible word for a quick visit or a brief, briefer visit. They're not doing that, they're abiding. Jesus said, if ye abide in me. In other words, you have a close, constant relationship with him. And notice again in verse 7, read it with me. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. That means you take in the word of God, the, the word that brings great peace to us. Great peace have they which love thy law. You let his word in, and his word doesn't just have a brief moment of time where it flickers across your mind. Um, many of us perhaps are reading the, the Bible reading calendar that we gave out earlier this year. And, uh, you know, we're in Exodus and Matthew currently uh, on that. And, and it, it's great to read. And I sit down every morning and I read that. And when I'm done, I check it off. But I got to be careful that I didn't just have a little visit with God's word. I got to make sure that when I'm reading God's word, that I'm letting it abide in me that I'm uh, taking mental note and I'm thoughtfully reading verses and if a verse speaks out to me that I, I'm not so much on the clock, well, I got to get this done so I can check it off. No, no, God's saying something to me and I, I let it have effect and I let it become a part of my being. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Pray scripturally. You can't pray for something that is contrary to the written word of God and expect God to answer it. I've, over the years, 43 years of ministry, I've encountered uh, young ladies that are praying for God. They've set their eyes on this young man 
uh, who is not saved or maybe claims to be saved, but he's of an unsavory character. He's got a bad testimony, but they've decided he's cute. They've decided he's the one. And I'm praying that God's going to let me marry this guy. Well, the Bible uh, says that we're not to be un unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you're setting your sight and your prayer request is for some unsaved young man or some unsaved young lady to you gentlemen, uh, that is an unscriptural prayer request. That is, that is an unscriptural prayer request. Um, and, and so if I'm going to pray effectively, my prayers need to be scriptural. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse number 13, the Savior taught and said, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. Many times when we pray, we close the prayer in Jesus' name, amen. That's really not what he was teaching. It is not just a little phrase, it, you know, magic words. If you put this onto the end of the prayer, poof, you're going to get what you want. It means you're asking by his authority. It means you're asking for something that he said you could have. Allow me to illustrate at the gym. I don't think I did a gym illustration today, so we're overdue just a little bit. They have a section where the trainers work with their clients, and it is called the cage. It has a chain link fence, you know, about this high all the way around it. And inside, uh, they have the equipment and, and so forth uh, that the trainers need to work with their clients. There's a sign right on the gate, the one gate that goes into the cage, uh, that lets you know that, that uh, you cannot be in there without a trainer present, okay? Um, so if Dave Schrammick uh, down here is at the gym and he sees that all the other uh, uh, squat racks are taken and he says, well, uh, there's one in there, I'll just go work out in there, they will come throw David out because David's not a trainer and he's not working with a trainer. There's a sign right there that says you can't do that, David. Okay? But I can. I can go into the cage anytime I want and I can work out there. My trainer is not there anymore, but I can still do it. Do you know why? Because the general manager over the whole gym is a, uh, is a fellow named Dave. He's an Air Force medic, a good guy. He has given permission to me that I can go in and train and I can go in and work out in the cage anytime I want as long as nobody's using the equipment. I'm free to go in there and if anybody questions me, all I have to say is, Dave told me I could be here. Take it up with Dave. Am I awesome or what? I, I've got carte blanche and I've been doing that uh, recently uh, for some of the things that I do. And I, I see some people walking by and I'm in there all by my lonesome and they're all looking at this little guy with one leg working out in there, and they're looking at the little sign, and I'm just waiting. I can't wait, uh, Brother Pat, for somebody to say, hey, you're not supposed to be in there without a trainer, so I can say, Dave told me I could. You see, I'm in there in his name. I'm in there by his authority. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're going to the Heavenly Father saying, your son told me I could ask for this. How do we know what he's told us we could ask for? It's all written down in the Bible. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Can I ask for that? Yeah, that's what the Savior told me to ask for. Can I ask for forgiveness when I've sinned, when I've failed, when I've messed up? Yes or no? Yeah, the Bible tells me that I can do that. Um, pray scripturally. Um, number two, how can I have this prayer life that brings about this peace of God? Pray spiritually. Pray spiritually. Turn to Romans chapter 8. While you're turning there, I'm reminded in the Gospel of Luke that they, the, the Savior and his uh, disciples were making their final trip to Jerusalem and on their way they passed through a region known as Samaria. The people that lived there were called Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people and the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans. And the disciples were going to go through a certain village of the Samaritans and the Samaritan people blocked their way and said, you're not coming here. You are Jews. It's obvious you're headed to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. You're not welcome in our town. Well, James and John, who were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, saw that, and, and they realized, man, they're not allowing uh, the Savior to come into their town and so forth, and they got all upset and all incensed, and they looked at Jesus and said, Lord, uh, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did and just burn these, these, these sinners up? And the Savior stopped them and said, whoa, whoa. The words whoa are in the, in the Greek somewhere. He said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. He said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. Your spirit is wrong. They were completely operating in the flesh. If I want to have a prayer life that not only secures the answers that I need from God, but they're going to secure this wonderful peace of God. I need to pray spiritually. Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm still not there yet. But I want you to look, if you would, in verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. None of us are as strong as we ought to be. None of us are as smart as we ought to be. None of us are as wise as we ought to be. We have infirmities, weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Sometimes there's something that I think I should have that God should do for me. And, and, and it's not that it's an unscriptural thing. I just think it would be best, but God knows more than I do. And so I'm praying for something, and it's not really what I ought to pray for, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit steps in between and says, I, I know Tom is asking for this, but that's really not what he should have. The Holy Spirit understands that. How many of you like being told no? How many? Nobody. It, it, it just rubs us wrong. There's something about that word. We just don't like it at all. But sometimes God says no. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul shares his personal testimony on this. He said, uh, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. In other words, God has taught me so much. God has given me words of divine inspiration. God has led me. God has used me. And I was running the risk of getting proud exalted above measure. 
By the way, God doesn't use us because we're so awesome. God uses us because he's so awesome. Okay? Paul said, but I was running the risk. Because after a while, after people tell you you're awesome, after people tell you, Bob, boy, what a great person you are, what a great preacher you are, what a great soul winner you are, it's very easy to start believing the hype. Paul said, lest that should happen to me, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, just like God did with Job. God removed that hedge of protection from Paul and allowed Satan to bring in some kind of a physical uh, illness or limitation. It's just called a thorn in the flesh. Paul never elaborated on that. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. He's praying about it. Okay, Paul's mind, I can serve God better without this. I, I, I can serve God more freely. I can serve God longer without this. So he took it to the Lord three times. And I don't think it was just three, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks-for-the-grub type moments. I think he spent three seasons of prayer. Lord, please take this away from me. Lord, this is just holding me back. It's limiting me. And we, again, we don't know what it was. And then the Lord said no. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God said, I'm not taking it away, but I will provide my grace to you in a measure that's going to get you through in spite of the trial. The trial is going to keep you dependent on me. The trial is going to keep you from getting a big head, and as long as you're humble, I can use you. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul was praying, and he thought it was a good thing, but God knew that that had been given to him for a very specific reason, and Paul needed to be a spiritual man and, if you will, yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his prayer life. There are times when I, I confess that I pray out of anger, and I pray out of frustration. And I'm praying for God to do something because I think vengeance or whatever needs to come. I'm, I'm very much like James and John, the sons of thunder. And I can, I can even hear it now, the, the Lord speaking to me, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. Uh, to pray spiritually means that I have a yieldedness in my life to let the Holy Spirit lead me even in my prayer life. To pray spiritually. There's a third thing that goes along with that. Pray submissively. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. Pray submissively. If I'm praying scripturally, I'm automatically taking my prayers and making sure they line up with the word of God, which means if anything I'm asking is on scripture, I toss it out. I'm already submitting to the word of God. If I'm praying spiritually, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to direct my prayer life. And I'm submitting to him, but in the whole matter of the answer, pray submissively. Look, if you would, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 42. Familiar portion of scripture. Actually, let's look at, at verse number 41. And he, that's the Lord Jesus. He was withdrawn from them, that's Peter, James, and John, about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It's one of those moments his humanity is quaking in, in light of what he knows is coming. And so his humanity utters the prayer that any one of us would, 
would be praying, Lord, if you can take this away, would you? But that, that prayer was tempered by this, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When I go to the Lord because of the fact I, I, I realize I don't always know what's best for me, uh, there are times that I just need to temper it, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I don't have to really pray that about my daily bread because I know the will of God. He said I could pray for daily bread. When I'm praying for somebody to get saved or somebody to come back from God, I know that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. Uh, uh, the Bible says he, he, will, he wills that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. At our men's prayer meeting, we have a whole list of individuals we are praying for by name and have been for months uh, that God would work in their life and bring them to salvation. I don't have to alter my prayer request on that at all because I have the, the teaching of God's word on it but there are other things in life that I don't always know what is best and what is best for me is not always what I like so I have to be yielded to God I have to surrender and submit to that not my will but thine be done the biggest prayer I ever prayed God said no I think I'd be a better pastor if Trina were still here. I think it'd be a better everything. But God said no. And I don't know why. I don't know why. There has to be some point in my life, and there has been, where I said, Father, you know best. And I trust you. And I yield. Pray submissively. We cannot live as petulant little children throwing tantrums because God doesn't do everything the way we want. We got to remember he's God, we're not. End of story. And I need to be willing to pray submissively. And there are times when it's not a clear-cut promise of the Bible where I need to say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Let me hasten on. Turn, if you would, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We were here a moment ago. You found it once. I have every confidence you can find it again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray steadfastly. Again, that verse 17. You can memorize this verse tonight. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time, pray about everything, pray until the prayer gets answered. Pray steadfastly. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel testifies and said, there was a thing that was revealed unto me by the Lord. He saw some type of a vision, got a truth, but he didn't understand it. Didn't understand it. How many of you have ever read the Bible and you read a verse or a passage and you didn't get it? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Uh, it, it happened to me most every day this week. Uh, I have some great commentaries that I like to refer to uh, after I've done my word studies. And if I'm still, you know, lost as a one-eyed blind duck in a hailstorm at night and I don't know what it is, I'll reach over and see what Matthew Henry said or what John Phillips said. And what I find out is they skipped that verse. They didn't know either. 
Um, Daniel had a thing revealed to him. He didn't understand it, so he started praying. He actually started fasting and praying over something he didn't understand that God gave to him. I wonder how much more of the Bible we'd learn if we had that kind of tenacity about us. I'm, I'm talking to myself on that one. The Bible says that he mourned for three whole weeks. He fasted. The Bible says he did not anoint himself. That means he didn't take a bath or a shower. He didn't change his clothes. Uh, can you imagine the odor emanating from him at the end of 21 days? Fasting and praying, um, not, not eating, not sleeping. I mean, he's just, he, all because he didn't understand a verse. He didn't understand a vision. Um, that's, that's what praying steadfastly is all about. We're too hit or miss in our prayer life. Sadly, for the average person, we do our best praying when crisis comes. And once the crisis passed, isn't it true that we tend to just kind of slack off again? We get busy, uh, or sometimes we look at something, well, uh, I, I, I can handle this. You, do you realize I can't handle anything without him? My Savior said in John chapter 15, for without me ye can do nothing. Um, and those of you that serve, that teach a Sunday school class, that work in the ministry, one of the great temptations you'll have is that you think you've, you've got the lesson ready. You can handle this. Maybe you taught the same lesson last year in your class. Uh, or this is a subject that you know very, very well. You know, it doesn't matter. You still need God or it's going to fall flat. You need to pray for that class. You need to pray for that Sunday school class, whether well, only two- and three-year-olds. Uh, can you imagine what could be done for God if, if uh, God had the chance to get into the hearts of some children at the ages of two, three, four, and five? We're not babysitting those kids. We are trying to teach them and train them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And for that, you need God. We need to become consistent, steadfast in our prayer life. Turn to James chapter 4. The fifth thing that's a part of this prayer life, if I'm going to know the peace of God, is I need to pray selflessly. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? What a terrible description for a church. Wars and fightings among you. Wars are things that go on between rival nations. Here he's talking about wars between believers. Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. And by the way, the lust of the flesh is contrary to the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing good about the lust of our flesh. When believers are, are, are locking horns with each other and they're in that sense, uh, it's, it's because they're, they're not uh, right with God. They're not walking in the Spirit. You lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Isn't that a strange thing? Ye kill and desire to have. You know, the Savior said that if you, if you actually hate somebody, that's the same as killing them. Uh, there's a lot of believers think that it's all right to hate other people. Well, I don't hate them. I just can't stand them. Don't play word games with God. You just plainly need to get right with God. He's talking, James is talking to believers that this is their relationship with each other. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. You have zero prayer life. By the way, carnal people have no prayer life. 
If they do, it's just as much for show as the Pharisees. It's ineffective. It's useless. You have not because ye ask not. Verse 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. You're just trying to feed the lust of the flesh. You're not asking for the will of God to be done. You're not even concerned about the will of God. I want my way or the highway. Uh, we're not worried about people getting saved. We're not wor worried about what is best for the cause of Christ, what is best for the work of the ministry. It's what do I want, what, what, what's, what, what's most fun for me, and, and so forth. And we're not praying selflessly. There are times in all of our lives that God's going to put us in circumstances that we want out of them because they're painful and they're hard. And in our mind, I don't want the pain. I, I want away from that. But sometimes God puts us right in that circumstance, that painful situation, whatever it might be, because God has a reason for us to be there. God put Joseph through 30 years of pain. The first 30 years of his life, there was very little joy in that man's life. A dysfunctional family in every stretch of the imagination, sold as a slave by his brothers, lived in servitude, we're not even sure how long, and finally framed wrongly for a crime that he didn't even think about committing. He got no trial, got no, nothing fair about it, got thrown in prison, helped people who forgot about him. That was in his entire life. Uh, that was a pain that, that is different from uh, I've got a migraine or I've, I've got chest pain. There's all kinds of different pain. But it's all real and it's, it's all unpleasant. And so you understand that he had 30 years of pain in his life, but it was God's plan for his life. All along the way, God was putting Joseph in touch with the very people that were going to one day put him in place to not only deliver Egypt from a worldwide famine, but deliver his family from that famine and preserve the line of the Messiah. Now, Joseph could have lived only for Joseph. Joseph could have cared only about his own well-being and done whatever, whatever could promote his cause and agenda. But there was just something about Joseph. I talked about him last week that... Everywhere he went, even his enemies could not deny that the Lord was with him. The very first time that Pharaoh met Joseph, he was 30 years old now. He's never met him before that day. Heard one speech by Joseph, and he, Pharaoh looked at all of his counselors, all of his court, and said, Can we find such a one as this, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? Now, he's an unsaved man, and he doesn't know Bible theology. He doesn't know how to, how, to, how to frame everything in a biblical manner. But on his very first meeting with Joseph, he said, can we find anybody like him? This guy is so filled with the Spirit of God. There's nobody like him. Do you understand that 30 years of pain was all leading up to that point so Pharaoh could see the Spirit-filled man and Joseph could fulfill the will of God in a way that even the unsaved world stands back and says, that is phenomenal. Pray selflessly. Pray selflessly. And here's the last thing. We'll go to Philippians 4, where we started tonight, and we'll be finished. Pray sweetly. Started everything with the letter S, didn't I? Pray scripturally. Pray spiritually. Pray submissively. Pray steadfastly. Pray selflessly. 
pray sweetly. Verse 6, be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication. That word supplication indicates begging. It's a strong, heartfelt pleading. When Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that word beseech, uh, he, he says, I'm begging you by the very mercies of God. I'm pleading with you. Uh, this is the word that would have been used to describe Lazarus who sat at the gate of the rich man begging for crumbs. That's what supplication gives us the picture of. Uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's how we're to come there. Pray sweetly. Um, God deserves our praise. As I, as I mentioned this morning, mentioned again tonight, even on our best day, God's been good to us. We've got an awful lot to be thankful for. Uh, don't, just, don't just let it be God I need, God I want, God you got to help me. And, and that's true. And we're supposed to do that. We're, we're, we're told we can in verse number 6. But I'm not supposed to let it alone. I'm supposed to sweeten it with praise. I'm supposed to sweeten it with praise. Um, I like iced tea. I love sweet tea. How many understand? Um, I, I, I can drink unsweetened tea. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't offend me. But I love sweet tea. I really do. I really do. I, I love raw vegetables. Let me change that. I like raw vegetables. Carrots, cauliflower, broccoli. Uh, those, I, I like them. I really do. I love cheesecake. Can I tell what I really love? I love Klondike bars. I, anybody with me? Yeah, we're having a revival. I just got to get down to our level and we got it. I, get, I finally got amens on Klondike bars. Uh, I, I, I just really do. There, there's not, I, man, it's, by the way, I don't, I don't do much of them. Every now and then I'll have, have one or something sweet because I cut the sugar out of my diet for health reasons and stuff. There's just something about every now and then you need something sweet. My secretary, Mrs. Clack, you walk by her desk. Every day I walk into my office and right there on the corner by my door is a little red rectangular dish filled with Hershey's Kisses. That's what's in there right now. She, she varies it every now and then. It's right there. I'm, there. She never has carrot sticks sticking out of that thing. None of those things. She was on the phone the other day, and I have no idea why. I just needed something sweet in the worst way. And I said, I hope she's not looking. And I just grabbed one because I keep talking about all this. Else. Did you see me take it? <sighs> I succeeded. And then I told her all about it. There's something about sweet that is just sweet. Did you know your prayer life ought to have that sweetness in it? As you're going to God with your needs, and he invites you to do that, Make sure you go in with the praise and let him know how much you appreciate everything he's already done. Let him know how glad you are to be saved. Let him know how much you're looking forward to seeing heaven someday. Let him know how thankful you are for prayers he's already answered. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. The Bible says here, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts 
and minds through Christ Jesus. I wonder if one of the reasons we're praying but not experiencing the peace of God is because we've left off the sweetness. We've left off the thanksgiving. Um, the kind of prayer life that I'm talking about tonight is not a haphazard type thing. It's not a hit or miss type of thing. It is where this is who we are. This is how we pray. And that's the way God wants to uh, work in our lives, and, and that's the kind of prayer that brings about this peace of God so that nothing offends us, none of these things move me, and we remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In my garage, I have a really nice snowblower. The church bought it for us uh, 17 years ago when we bought our house in Meriden, and uh, so it sits in my garage. Guess how many times I've used my snowblower this winter? Zero. Zero. And it's not because Rob used it. We just haven't had enough snow to... We've had a dusting a couple of times, and that's it. So it sits in my garage. Now, I don't know if we're going to have any snow. Mrs. Clack is praying fervently that we will. I am praying fervently that God ignores her prayers. I'm liking the winter the way that it is. But you know, if we get a big snow, uh, I, I guarantee you, I, I will go down there and I'll fire that thing up and I'll do our driveway and I'll, I'll plow up around the, the mailbox and, and uh, so on and so forth. And then I'll put it back in my garage and it's all done until the next snow comes along. I think too many of us have snowblower prayer lives. We only pull the prayer life out when something heavy's come along. And then as soon as we got it, we put it back in and we wonder, where's God? How come God's not real in my life? How come I don't have the peace of God that passes understanding? It's because we're not praying the way that we're supposed to. We're not praying in the spirit that we are supposed to. And again, I'm not preaching down to a single person in this room. I know that I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. My prayer life is, is in need of, of overhaul pretty much on a continual basis. But here's the bottom line. If I'm walking through life frustrated, miserable, unhappy, devoid of the peace of God, it is not God's fault. It is not your fault. It is not the church's fault. It's because I've ignored what God said in his word that brings about the peace of God, especially in the matter of prayer. Can we bow our heads for a prayer? Father, thank you for the Bible.